And everybody else, if you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12, we'll pick up there. Welcome to those of you visiting, some folks from out of town, visiting family and friends. Welcome to you. We are going verse by verse through 1 Samuel, and today we come to 1 Samuel chapter 12. We're in this series that we call The King the People Choose. It's a, it's a series that focuses on Saul, the people rejected God as king and then wanted a king like all the other nations. And so they got Saul. Interestingly enough, though, Saul's really not prominent in our passage today. He's referred to, but he's not really prominent here. Today's a passage where Samuel is uh, finishing his time as judge. He'll still speak as a prophet, as you'll see later in the book, but he's finishing his time as judge. And Samuel's got something to say. I don't know if uh, any of you read or watched uh, the funeral or bits of the funeral of Senator Bob Dole this last week. I watched a little bit of it. Um, Senator Bob Dole, uh, his funeral was at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. And it was interesting to hear uh, the different eulogies and things, uh, stories told about him. And it, and it got me thinking about this passage. Samuel is, is going before the Lord and basically rehearsing, I've led you well. And then he used uh, that to get their attention. And I thought about that as we as I watched the funeral, I'm great good for our country, but as you heard people talk about him, they would, they would say things that he said, or they would recite speeches that he had made, and, and they, they kind of landed with a, a certain poignancy to them because he's now gone, and so people were kind of hanging on his words and listening to what he had said. Reminds me of Samuel here. He's not gone yet, but he's leaving the office of judge, and he's speaking. And Samuel has talked to the people before, and he's actually rebuked them before, and they didn't pay attention. No, we shall have a king like the other nations, Samuel. But here he speaks to them, and they respond. They listen. He gives them some hard truths, and they take them to heart. So I've entitled this message, The Sinned Against Yet Present King. Samuel is talking to them about their sin, and yet that their covenant God is still there and guiding them. So this, this, this book or this chapter is set uh, with, the setting is Samuel's departure, but the theme is really the character of God here in spite of his people's sin. And I think there's lots for us to learn. The, sin to get, the sins against yet present king. I'll outline the passage this way. Uh, let's look at the two messages Samuel has for the wayward people of God. Two messages for the wayward people of God. And again, as I've said all throughout the book of 1 Samuel, the Bible is always relevant. If you're looking at sin in Genesis 3, you can trace that sin to where we are today and even our own hearts and realize the things that Adam and Eve and Noah and Saul and David, the things that they struggled with have a certain uh, uh, home in our hearts as well. We're not different sinners. Technology may be here. We find new ways to sin, but we're still sinners at heart just like they were. But we also have a God who's unchanging. The God of the people of Israel, who's been sinned against yet present, is still the God that we serve today. And so it's important to see both of those things. So two messages for the wayward people of God. Before I get to our first point, let's look at verses 1 through 5, which kind of gives you the setting, the recap of Samuel's leadership. Chapter 12, verse 1 through 5 says this, And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. 
And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. We'll pause there. You see what Samuel's doing here. I'm getting older. The people earlier in 1 Samuel recognized that. You're getting older, therefore we need a king. Samuel knew that was them rebelling against him. God made it clear to Samuel they're rebelling against me ultimately. But Samuel recognizes that he's getting older. And so he says, I've, I'm older. I've walked before you. You've got a king now. Verse 3, here I am. Testify against me before the Lord. So evaluate before the Lord my ministry to you over these years and before his anointed. So testify before the Lord and before Saul, who's going to take my place in a sense. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I'll restore it to you. So if I've defrauded you of anything, if I've taken from you as your judge prophet, let me know. Tell me. Samuel's basically rehearsing the fact that he's been there to serve them. He's not taken from them. He's served them. We've seen in 1 Samuel failed leaders, the failed sons of Eli, the failed sons of Samuel, who have used the people of God for their own gain. Samuel's saying, I haven't done that. I've been different. In fact, in 1 Samuel 8, when they are asking for a king, he warns them, okay, you want a king? Here's what your king is going to be like, says God. It's going to be someone who, well, I'll, I'll read it for you. I think it's helpful to hear the contrast between a coming king like Saul and others and Samuel's ministry. Uh, 1 Samuel 8, starting in verse 13, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take, you notice the phrase we keep hearing? He will take, he will take, he will take. Failed leaders, take, take, take. Samuel gives, serves. 15 of chapter 8, he will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyard and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you've chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. It's a threat. It's a warning against the idea that the people want someone other than God, so they're going to get someone other than God. And it's going to be someone who uses them for his own gain. So Samuel is saying, I haven't done that. I have not defrauded. I've not taken any donkeys. I haven't taken any oxen. I, I've simply served. Verse 4, they said, you have not defrauded us, they agree, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he's witness, you're right, you're right, you haven't done anything, you haven't, you haven't taken anything from us. We agree, your leadership's been faithful. So, the, the unstated expectation of Samuel so now pay attention as I say these words to you. So now listen to me. You agree that I've led you faithfully. You agree that I haven't been in this for my own gain. So I've got something to say. And here's where we see the two messages of Samuel. And here's the first message. Understand how you've sinned against your covenant God. Understand how you've sinned against your covenant God. And if you're here today and you're one who's strayed from God, who's wandered from God, 
this is a very timely passage. God in His providence brings this passage to us today. There's much to learn about ourselves, and again, as I said, and you'll see this later on, much to learn about a covenant-keeping God, a faithful God. So first, understand how you've sinned against your covenant God. Verse 6, and Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Samuel does what a number of prophets do in the Old Testament. They bring the people of Israel back through their history. And they trace some things back through their history for the sake of teaching them something. So he goes back to Moses and Aaron in the time of Egypt and how God brought the people up out of Egypt under their leadership. Verse 7, Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. So that phrase stand still is repeated later on. It's kind of like you're on trial here. Stand up, stay there and listen to what I say about you, okay? So he says, stand still so that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds. Samuel's going to bring them through their history and show them how faithful and righteous and how, how much of a working, powerful God this God was for them, has been for them. Verse 8, when Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron. So, see that? The people of God suffering, they cry out, the Lord hears and sends leaders. This is the pattern from the time of them being in Egypt up until present. Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. So he brought them out of Egypt. Now the place that we live is where the Lord brought Israel. He's been faithful, verse 9, but they forgot their God. This is what happens. God's faithful to you. God's faithful to me. And then give it some time and we forget him. We forget his faithfulness. So Moses, just like, or sorry, Samuel, just like all of us need, Samuel brings the people back to the faithfulness of their God. And he says, and you forgot God. Continuing in verse 9, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the king of Moab. He's rehearsing the way the Lord's disciplined them. And he fought against them. This is the Lord fighting against them. And they, notice what they do again, just like they did in Egypt, and they cried out to the Lord and said, we've sinned because we've forsaken the Lord. So they cry out again. Because not only have they forgotten their God, but they've forsaken the Lord and have served Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hands of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam, another name for Gideon, and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. What's Samuel doing here in this paragraph? He's showing them the same things that, or he's showing them their history, the same things that you're sinning and doing, struggling with, is what your fathers have done. They sinned, they cried out to God, he saved them. They sinned again, they forgot him. They sinned, they cried out to God again, he saved them. This has been the pattern. And Samuel's just saying, this is the cycle. Here's the cycle, and then verse 12, and now the cycle comes to you. Wonder if there's gonna be any difference. Verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. There's the sin again, the rebellion, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you've asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. 
So he's given them instructions now. Okay, we're, we're going through the same cycle. You keep sinning, the Lord saves. You forget the Lord, you sin again, the Lord saves. Now, verse 14, if you will fear the Lord, fear, tremble before Him, be in awe of Him, enjoy Him, commune with Him, find Him amazing. If you, if you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. There is blessing for living a life of worship and service to the Lord and obedience to the Lord. But if you will not obey the voice of your Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. This is what Samuel lays out before the people. Here are the options. Fear the Lord, serve Him, obey Him, or reject Him. One brings blessing. One brings cursing. Verse 16, now therefore, here it is, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. So Samuel's about to give them a sign. Evidently, a sermon's not enough. He's going to give them a sign. Tells them to stand still and watch. Verse 17, is it not the wheat harvest today? What that's saying is, isn't this the time where there isn't rain? This is the time to gather the wheat I will call upon the Lord that He may send thunder and rain. That, that was odd. It's like, it's like having a snowstorm in December, I'm sorry, in, in June in Phoenix. This, this isn't the time. Isn't this summer in Phoenix? Isn't this the time of the wheat harvest? I'm going to pray to the Lord and ask Him to send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord. And the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Samuel calls upon the Lord to discipline them so that they see their wrong. This is what the Lord often does to His people. He disciplines them and gets their attention to see where they're wrong. Understand how you've sinned against your covenant God is the message that Samuel's giving the people. So what do we do with that? Oh, that's a story from 1100 B.C., doesn't really have any relevance to me today. Check it off my Bible reading for the year. Move on. Hold on. Hold on. The human condition hasn't changed. So, understand that the Lord works by His Spirit, by His Word, works to bring about reproof upon His people when they go astray. Understand how you've sinned against your covenant God. This is why Christians should take the heart as they read the Scriptures, as they're taught the Scriptures, to be aware of their sin. Be aware of where you struggle. Here, for them, the people of Israel, they forgot their Lord. They've forsaken the Lord. It's good as you read through your Bible to see Israel go through that and to say, hold on, have I in any way forgotten the goodness of my God? Have I in any area of my life forsaken the Lord? Something to learn here. I'll give you a couple of passages, a couple of cross-references to, to demonstrate this. Uh, listen to the word examine in both of these passages. So Samuel's calling upon the people of the Lord to come to grips with how they've sinned against their covenant God, their covenant king. And the New Testament and the Old call on the people of God to examine their own hearts, examine what they've done. This is a, a timeless principle. Well, I shouldn't say timeless. We won't have to examine our sin in heaven. So this is a principle that we still continue with today, self-examination. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. in speaking of examination before the Lord's table, let a person examine himself, 
then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Lamentations 3.40. Lamentations, a book written because Israel was in exile because of their sin. And so that got their attention. So what do they do? Lamentations 3.40. Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. Self-examination is something that we do when we're disciplined by God, hopefully before we're disciplined by God, so that we don't need discipline from God. But self-examination is something the people of God have been called to do, kind of opening up the heart and looking in. The most mature Christians are used to reading the Scriptures, hearing the Scriptures, and examining, is this true of me? Is this where I'm at? I think of that word examine, it means to, to look intently at, to study, to, to research, to understand. Let a person examine himself, 1 Corinthians 11. Let us examine and probe our ways, Lamentations 3.40. When, when I think of this, I think of uh, high school biology, the dissecting of frogs. Mr. Folkert's class, Ripon Christian High School, being there in that lab and having to dissect frogs, and we were told you've got to examine and see what's inside of there. I'm not really a dead frog type of guy. Not really, that's not really my thing. I was into government and political science, not really biology. But if I was going to be a good student, good biology student, I had to open up and look, look at something I didn't want to look at and not just look at it. I had to go in and examine and see what was there. It's kind of like that with our own lives. Don't really want to, but for my own health, spiritual health, honesty before the Lord, honesty before other people, I need to let the Word do that examination. This is what Samuel's calling the people to. He's pointing out their sin before them. It's not a pleasant thing. He's pointing it out. He's telling them how their fathers and mothers have rebelled and how they themselves have rebelled in the same way. So, I would encourage you to let the Word examine your heart. Let the Word examine your heart. Please, we're going to start a new year here, and some of you start Bible reading plans in the new year, and I would encourage you to read it, by, read it with meditation, read it with thinking, read it with understanding, read it and let the Word of God go through your heart. Don't just read it for information. Let that information get from head to heart. Examine. I'd also encourage you to, to come on Sunday with that same expectation. Lord, teach me something. Remind me of something. You might need to wound me, Lord. You might need to encourage me. Whatever you do, as we go through your Scriptures, Lord, shepherd my heart. Open my heart. Psalm 131. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Psalm 139. That's the type of prayer we pray. We let the Word get to our hearts. Samuel is speaking these these accusations against them that come from God, speaking these accusations against them, and He means for them to take this to heart. So, examine yourselves, friend. But there's a second message that Samuel gives. It's this, understand what it looks like to follow your covenant God. So, first, he's talking about understand what it looks like in the fact that you've strayed against your covenant God, you've sinned against your covenant God, but now understand what it looks like to follow your covenant God. You know what this is called? Another chance. That's what our God is like. doesn't have to be. He would be just to execute this whole nation of Israel right there on the spot. 
You asked for another king. You asked for another king to lead you instead of me. You're done. But through his prophet, he gives them another opportunity to follow their covenant God. And so, under this heading, understand what it looks like to follow your covenant God, I've got eight truths for you about following God, okay? So, eight subpoints, if you will. You'll have to write these down if you want to remember them. And they come as we go line by line through this last paragraph, verses 19 through 25. So, eight truths about following God, rightly following God. Here's the first truth. We see it in verse 19. Humble yourself before God. Now, don't forget the last paragraph. You've forgotten the Lord. You've forsaken the Lord. You've asked for a different king other than the Lord. Now, we see the people's response. Earlier in chapter 8, Samuel was saying, hey, you know, the the Lord is shepherding you and and you've got a king. And and they're saying, no, 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 we shall have a king like the other nations. They didn't listen to Samuel. Here it's different. They listened to Samuel. And that's a good start. If you've been straying and you want to come back to the Lord, it starts with humbling yourselves before the Lord. So you've been sinning in a certain way. Here's what you don't do. Okay, I sinned against God. I'm going to really try real hard to do the opposite. No, no, no. You take a trip through the cross first. You take a trip through the state of repentance first. Lord, you stop and you pause and you go before the Lord and you say, I've sinned against you. I'm admitting that before you. And now I want to live in the opposite way. So it starts with humbling yourselves before God. Look at verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God. Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. Why? Because we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. That's a good response. It's not a fun response to articulate how you've sinned against God, but it is a good response, a necessary response. We, they're saying we've sinned in a number of ways and we've added to that this sin of asking for another king. Notice this is where following the Lord starts, admitting that you haven't. And notice they admit specifically, we've added to all our sins this sin. They're specific in what they've done before the Lord. And they know they need someone to intercede for them. They go to the the, the godliest man they know, their prophet Samuel, and they ask him to pray to God on their behalf. He's got a relationship with God. We're sinful. We're in trouble. Ask the Lord that, that we may not die because we know we're in need. Please pray for us. Take that message to the Lord. Go on our behalf. And it just reminds me that Samuel is a man who will die, but Jesus Christ is the one that lives to intercede for his people who's always praying for us. Even the Holy Spirit is said to pray for us in Romans chapter 8. Luke 22, Jesus says he's praying for Peter that his faith may not fail. Revelation 12, Jesus prays for us. Jesus is the one who prays for his new covenant people. He prays for us so that we would not die because we are great with sin. But he prays for us, intercedes for us. They go to Samuel and ask for his intercession. And what they're doing is they're starting back on the path to following their Lord, and it starts with humbling themselves. Humble yourself before God. Second truth about following your covenant God, don't fear judgment. Don't fear judgment. It's striking. Samuel taught them, and then he told them, now hold on, I'm going to pray for rain and thunder, 
so that it ruins your harvest and your discipline for a time so you know that you're in sin. That sounds like judgment. That's discipline. Yet here, the people cry out to God and admit their sin. And notice what Samuel says in verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. It's a fascinating set of sentences put together. You would think it should say, be afraid. You've done all this evil. He says, don't be afraid, you've done all this evil. Why does he say, don't be afraid here, and he tries to get their attention by making them afraid just the previous paragraph? Why? Because of what their response was. They admitted their sin before their God. They admitted it before him, and now he says, don't fear. Oh, let that, let that tell you something. Being a, being under the wrath of God because of your sin is a place that should be fearful. But when you trust, when you admit your sin and trust in His salvation, trust that He takes away your sin, no need to fear anymore. That is such an important truth for you to think through and live your life in light of. Fear Him and judgment if you continue in sin and shake the fist at him, but when you humble yourself and admit your sin before him and trust in his salvation that he offers, don't fear anymore. We sing this song often, right? Now why this fear and unbelief? Has not the Father put to grief his spotless son for us? No fear. The judgment's already come and it didn't fall on you. So don't fear judgment if you're the confessing, repenting people of God. He's put His judgment somewhere else, on someone else, His own Son. We see this played out in the New Testament, in Luke 5, in the calling of Peter, when Peter is confronted with the miraculous power of Jesus, and he falls down in the boat, and he says, depart from me. Why? I'm a sinful man. That, that understanding, that confession that Peter makes draws the heart of Jesus toward him, in love, not in wrath. You're right, you are a sinful man and I'm coming. No, when Peter confesses that before Jesus, he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And what does Jesus do? Do not fear. You see how confession leads God to say, don't be afraid. It's not just here in 1 Samuel 12, it's in Luke 5. It's also in Revelation 1. Revelation 1, John sees his vision of the glorious conquering king, Jesus Christ, and he falls down as dead. And what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid. So when you appropriately humble yourself before God, no need to be afraid. I'm a sinner, how could I be in your presence? Tell me that you're a sinner. Admit that you're a sinner. Keep talking like that. And trust that I forgive, I save, and now don't be afraid. This is shown all throughout the Scriptures. I just gave you a couple places. Don't fear judgment. Reading a book about the friendship of John Newton, <coughs> John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, and William Cowper, a writer of many hymns and poems himself. William Cowper, early in life, was troubled by his guilt, troubled by uh, the guilt of his sin, and he always felt like he was in trouble with God. 
In fact, one time it said that he was speaking to his brother John about something, just talking to his brother, and he stopped mid-sentence because the feeling of guilt was so overwhelming to him, and he said this, oh brother, I am damned, damned. Think of eternity and what it is to be damned. Just so much guilt racking William Cowper's mind and life. Well, a friend of his pointed him to the Scriptures, and as he was reading the Scriptures, he read Romans 3.25, where God puts forward His Son as a propitiation of His wrath. He put forward His Son to, to stand in the way of sinners who deserve His wrath and to absorb the wrath that sinners deserve. He put His Son forward as a propitiation. His Son got in the way of the wrath that was aimed at sinners. And his son was treated as if he was a sinner and absorbed the wrath of God. Cowper read that, Romans 3.25, and trusted in Christ and felt this relief of guilt. Romans 3 has saved many, many, many people throughout history. I'd encourage you to read it. Cowper understood for the first time that Jesus absorbed the wrath that he deserved. And he wrote in a letter, he said this, He talked about the joy that he then felt. He said, unless the almighty arm had been under me, I think I should have died with gratitude and joy. The joy was almost so overwhelming. You think of the depth of his guilt and despair, and to realize that someone had taken the penalty for all that led him to the opposite extreme reaction, joy and gratitude. And unless God's arm was holding him, he would have died because of gratitude. My eyes filled with tears and my voice choked with transport as he's trying to say words, get words out. His voice is choking. I can only look up to heaven in silence, overwhelmed with love and wonder. Samuel tells the sinful people of Israel, after they've confessed about their sin, he says, don't be afraid. What wonderful words. Samuel speaking on behalf of God, who's been sinned against. Don't be afraid, sinner. So when we talk about following God, humble yourself before God. Secondly, don't fear judgment. Third, follow or serve the Lord from the heart. These are Samuel's next words to the people, continuing in verse 20. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. This is a, you got to understand the the time period they lived in. The people of God would always say that they served the Lord. They would. Here's what didn't happen throughout the history of Israel. We're not going to serve God at all. We're just going to serve the Baals and the Ashtaroth and these other foreign idols. No, no, that's not what they did. They served the Lord, did their sacrifices. We serve Yahweh. You led us out of Egypt. And then they also offered sacrifice to the other gods. So their heart was divided. So this is, this message from Samuel is a lot like Joshua's outgoing message in Joshua 24. Okay. Consider which gods you're going to serve today, Joshua says to the people of Israel. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the call here. Follow the Lord with your whole heart. That means put away your idols. You can't have it both ways. No man can serve two masters, Jesus taught us. So that's what this is the call to. Serve the Lord with your whole heart. Don't let your heart be divided. I serve Jesus over here, but I also do these things over here. 
which kind of bring me some security and joy and hope too, but they're contrary to the ways of Jesus. You can't do that. Follow or serve the Lord from your heart, not a divided heart as the book of James talks about. Follow and serve Him from the whole heart. Fourth, fourth truth about what it means to follow after God. Avoid that which will not eternally profit you. Avoid that which will not eternally profit you. Here's the, 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 the removal of the idols, if you will. Verse 21, and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver because they are empty. Don't, or sorry, turn aside after the empty, empty things that cannot profit or deliver because they are empty. So the people would serve Yahweh, but they'd also serve man-made idols that cannot ultimately deliver. And they would keep doing that. So really, these two go together. Follow and serve the Lord from the heart, but also avoid that which will not eternally profit you. We can be so easily distracted from following the Lord ourselves, can't we? We chase success, status, sin, different relationships, different priorities, different commitments that are contrary to the Lord's for us. And yet we still come to church, we still go to Bible study, we just still do all that, but our hearts are divided. And so we should avoid the things that we trust so much and that don't profit us, that grab and fight for our affections, but never profit or deliver completely. Think about the things that you want, the pursuits that you have, the things that you're going after. Are any of those contrary to following God, to following His will? Are any of them contrary? If they are, put them away. You will not grow and thrive apart from doing that. Put them away. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Jesus teaches the same thing. So avoid that which will not eternally profit you. And you could say it a different way, avoid that which will eternally harm you. Fifth truth about following after God, remember the Lord's commitment to you. So we learned earlier that the people of God can often sin against their covenant God, but remember the Lord's commitment to you. Verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake His people for His great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. This is, this is the this is what following the Lord is saturated in, His commitment to us. You, you, if you want to follow the Lord, you have to know this truth. You have to know that He is more committed to your soul than your soul is committed to Him. You stand before Him righteous, not because you're committed to Him, but because He committed Himself to you eternally. What a truth. No other religion in the world has that truth. But this truth says that he has committed himself to me. He will not forsake his people. He will not forsake his people. It says, doesn't say he's thinking about maybe forsaking his people. He will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. It actually shows off how amazing he is to commit himself to a people who still sin against him. What a God. The Old Testament reminders that the people had every day of the fact that God covenanted with His people 
and they would get the reminders as they would bring their sacrifices and the animals would be slaughtered, that blood would be slaughtered, and they would remember that there's a death, there's something has to die to make me right with God, and that was a sign of a covenant commitment between God and His people. That animal's death was a reminder. I'm right with Yahweh, my covenant-making God, because He's seen to it that there's been a death to bring me into His presence. He's so holy, He can't stand the sight of sin. He can't be in the presence of sin. Someone has to pay for sin. And so that bull that we brought paid for our sin, if you will, and brought us and reminds us of this relationship that we have with God. We've got a New Testament reminder too, don't we? And it's a person. Listen to this, Hebrews 9, 12. This is so good. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Let me ask you the question, when does an eternal redemption end? Never. Jesus Christ, by His own blood, has secured the fact that you and I, if we trust in Jesus Christ, we confess our sins to Him, we trust in Him for salvation, we will never be apart from a relationship with Him, a saving relationship, never ever. But I still struggle with my sin. His Son went into the holy place by His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. But I give into temptation so much. His Son went into the holy of holies by His blood to secure you an eternal redemption but you don't know the week I've had and what I've done. His son shed his blood for you so that he would secure for you an eternal redemption. You have to know that if you're going to follow God. You have to know that security that he gives you. So remember the Lord's commitment to you. Final few and then we're done. Listen to instruction If you're going to follow rightly after the Lord, listen to instruction. Look at verse 23. Moreover, as for me, Samuel speaking, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. Notice notice a little side note here about leadership. Samuel Here's how Samuel is going to serve the covenant people of God. He's going to pray for them and he's going to teach them. Fast forward the tape. Birth of the church, Acts chapter 6, church is growing. There's so many things for the leaders of the new church to do. And so they say, hey, we need some people to help serve people with everyday needs. And so we need to have them do that so that it frees us up to do prayer and the ministry of the word. Sounds a lot like 1 Samuel 12. This type of spiritual leadership is true in the Old Covenant, it's true in the New Covenant. Leaders pray for their people and instruct their people. So for the people of God who are seeking to follow God, what should they do about that? How should they respond to that? Listen to the instruction. Not because a man is dynamic or has degrees behind his name, but simply because the Lord has used a mouthpiece to speak his word to his people. This is how God does it. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me, that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. God has seen to it that people would instruct his people, people would stand before his people, instruct them in good and right ways so that they would, verse 24, respond to that and fear the Lord, serve Him faithfully with all their heart. 
So, again, I go back to what I said earlier. Because we are a word people, God came and John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus came as a what? As a preacher. We are a people of the Word. That's why on Sundays we open this and we sit under His Word. This is how God did it then with His prophets. It's how He does it now. He speaks to us by His Word. So in light of that, listen to His Word. Respond to His Word. Take to heart His Word. And in response, Fear the Lord, serve Him faithfully with all your heart. I'll boil it down very simply. Hear the Word taught, read the Word, respond to it in worship. There you go, Christian life, right there. Come before the Word, hear it, let it instruct you, respond in worship. And when you don't, remember, there's a God who's committed Himself to you. He may discipline for you for a time, just like a good father does to his children, Hebrews chapter 12, but he will still keep speaking to you, and you are forgiven. Hear the word, read the word, respond in worship. So listen to instruction. Seventh, I think we're on number seven, right? Seventh truth for following after God, consider what great things God has done for you. Consider what great things God has done for you. We continue in verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. The more thankful you are for how God has cared for you in the past, the more faithful you'll be in following Him. Remember, remember why the people started sinning earlier in our chapter? They forgot the Lord. Here, he's talking about what it means to follow after God, and he says, consider, remember, think about, consider what great things he's done for you. That's why I think it's good to express gratitude to the Lord publicly, not just on Thanksgiving Day. Praise the Lord for what he's done. Can you tell someone this week about how he converted your heart, changed your heart? Let that remind you. I remember when he changed my heart, I was a sinful, prideful, rebellious teenager, and seemingly overnight, he grabbed my heart, and I wanted, my heart wanted to live for him. That wasn't my own doing. He did heart surgery, spiritual heart surgery that only the Holy Spirit can do. He did that. I want people to know that. And when I remember his power in my life in the past, it leads me to want to follow him faithfully in the present. Consider the relationships he's given you. Consider the spouse He's given you, the kids He's given you. Consider the, the knowledge that He's given you, the blessings He's given you, the health He's given you, whatever it may be. God's given all of us thousands and thousands of blessings. You can't follow God faithfully and just forget about all those entirely. He's got so many blessings that He's given to us over the years, and He'll keep doing that. Consider that. That's motivation to want to live a life of following Him and worshiping Him. Finally, number eight, take seriously God's warnings. He still gives a warning here. Verse 25, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. See, the New Testament will tell us that not all Israel is Israel. So this is a public speech from Samuel, but he recognizes in that group not everyone's committed to Yahweh. So there's a warning for these people. Take seriously God's warnings. Even as followers of Christ, it's important for us to remember 
what things to avoid, what things to do, what things not to do. We, we take heed His warnings. Our God, graciously, is a God who warns His people. Again, what a gift that is. When you're driving, any of you been up to, what's, what are those Aspens up in Flagstaff, backside of the mountain? I don't know, whatever. You'll email me later. Um, drive up backside of the mountain, up to the Aspens. There's a part there where it's like, there's no guardrail. It's narrow. I mean, you're just like, give me a guardrail. Give me a sign that like two miles back so that I can maybe rethink this whole, you know, route. I mean, give me something. Our God graciously warns. He gives warnings. Take seriously God's warnings. We've seen it. You know it. You've seen it. You see it in the Bible. You see it in today's world. People who claim to be followers of Christ going astray, walking away, shunning the words of God, shunning the people of God, and they don't thrive when they do that, do they? Lives wrecked because an apparent member of the community has demonstrated that he's not a member of the community. We've seen that. You've seen that. These people fail to take seriously God's warnings, and it does not allow them to thrive, and oh, by the way, there's collateral damage. It affects the people around them, the people that they love. You cannot ignore God's word, cannot ignore God's leadership, cannot ignore God's commands, and thrive. You cannot. Ignoring God will bring about suffering, and it's important to remember that. Conversely, His commands are for our good. Remember what we looked at in verse 23? Samuel teaching the people, I will instruct you in the good and right way. Following after the Lord brings benefit. Obedience brings blessing. You see that all throughout the Scriptures. So take seriously God's warnings. So again, just to restate these truths so that we have them, this is what Samuel indicates as following after God. Humble yourself before God. Don't fear judgment. Follow or serve the Lord from the heart. Avoid that which will not eternally profit you. Remember the Lord's commitment to you. Listen to instruction. Consider what great things He's done for you and take seriously God's warnings. I'm going to encourage you in a homework assignment, okay? I'm going to encourage you to go through those eight truths with someone. Go through them and, and bring your heart before them and talk to each other about how you listen to instruction or talk to each other about whether you fear the judgment of God even though you've trusted in Jesus as Son. Talk about taking seriously God's warnings. Talk about considering great things He's done for you. Have a conversation like that over coffee. This is Samuel's message to the people of God. Again, I want to finish by having you see the big picture of this chapter. Samuel brings the people's sin before them, and he wants them to deal with it. But then he shows them graciously what it means to then have a new start and follow after their God. And that says something about God, doesn't it? He's a God who rebukes, but he's also a God that continues to instruct and reminds people of his commitment to them. This new path on follow, of following God is, is there because God is gracious. Your second chance, your next chance, even this morning, if some of you are straying from the Lord, this message this morning is a gift from God. First Samuel 12, let it be a gift from God to you. 
God has providentially seen to it that you hear His commitment to His people, His instruction to His people, and this is the way to follow after Him. I told you about William Cowper earlier. Cowper wrote a hymn that many of you know called, Oh, for a Closer Walk with God. And this hymn, as I was reading through the lyrics, reminded me of this passage. Picture yourself being one of those people in Israel who at one point was saying, I need a different king. God, you're not working. I need someone else. I need some other security. I need something else. You go astray. Samuel the prophet, someone comes to you and says, hey, you've gone astray. You need to pay attention to this. You need to deal with your sin. You rightly admit your sin and you ask Samuel to pray for you. You need someone to intercede for you, and you want to follow then this covenant-making God. You want to follow Him rightly, and so Samuel instructs you of what it means to follow Him rightly, and the cry of your heart could be, oh, for a closer walk with God. Listen to the lyrics of this hymn. Oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame, a light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. Where is the blessedness I knew when I first saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and His Word? What peaceful hours I once enjoyed, how sweet their memory still. But they have left an aching void the world can never fill. Return, O holy dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it away from thy throne and worship only thee. So shall my walk be close with God, calm and serene my frame, so pure light shall mark the road that leads me to the Lamb. If I were Cowper's pastor at the end of this hymn, I would remind him that the Lamb that he's wandered from is still present. That lamb shed his blood and brought him into an eternal covenant with him. Christian person of God who's been straying for a time, know that the lamb has died for your sin and has brought you into his father's presence. So while you cry out and say, oh, for a closer walk with God, God has been gracious to tell you of his commitment to you and instructions of what that means to go forward and follow after him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this relevant passage. Thank you for your word, which speaks so clearly to us. Thank you for the way you are demonstrated in this passage, revealed in this passage. You warn, you chastise, you instruct. You don't forsake your people. You provide them guidance. You listen to their prayers. You're an amazing God, even though we still regularly sin against you. So, Father, teach all of our hearts what we need to understand from this chapter today. And give us a closer walk with you, because we love you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.